Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome. CC. Hello and welcome. One, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. Hello and welcome to episode four of The Documentary Life. This is a podcast that sets out to inspire and educate each and every one of us on what it means as well as how to best lead a documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and I'm excited to have you join us today and excited to hopefully better help you live your own documentary life. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome aboard. It's great to have you with us. I will encourage you afterwards to go back and listen to the first couple of shows where we discuss what this show is all about and what we're trying to achieve with it. In those shows, you'll also get a better idea of who I am and just why I've decided to do this podcast. If this is not your first time and you're back listening to another episode of The Documentary Life, well, thank you for coming back and for continuing to be an important part of the TDL community. One of the things that I mentioned early on in one of last week's episodes is the ability to do other things while you're listening to the show. If you so choose, you can kind of have it on in the background. I do that a lot with the podcasts that I listen to, so I don't mind at all if you do. I actually like the idea that you might just be listening to this show while you're doing your workout or in your car driving home from work, or maybe even have a pair of headphones like my brother Brian does, listening while he does the dishes. I think that's great. It's one of the really cool things about podcasts is that you don't have to give your full attention to the entire show. You can kind of go in and out and pick and choose the moments that you'll want to give your attention to. Besides, I would never expect you to give your full attention to an entire episode anyhow. I know what it is to give 30 to 60 minutes of valuable time to anything. It's damn tough is what it is. Steph and I have two kids younger than the age of three. We both run our video production business, Barong Films. She produces her blog, Blondie Loves Plants. I produce this podcast. We both produce our feature documentary, Elvis of Cambodia. And of course, I work freelance as a DP director. The list goes on, so I know what it's like to not have very much time to do things. You have to juggle. You have to multitask. Well, and hopefully you're not like me, who isn't very good at multitasking. So I really appreciate that you're giving any time at all to listen to this podcast. As a sort of grand opening to the show, if you will, this week and last week, we're releasing more episodes than we would normally do. Last week, we released back-to-back episodes two and three. In episode two, I talked about this idea of inspiration, going into a bit about what inspires me to lead my documentary life. I also talked about films and filmmakers who have inspired me along the way to become a documentary filmmaker. The latter part of the show, I got into how and what cameras might be appropriate for you as a documentary filmmaker and delved into this idea of using what you have, knowing that you will have more of what you need later on. And using different cameras for different projects, consistently leveraging your older camera in order to move up to the next camera when you're ready to do so. Alongside this episode, we released our first of a monthly series of conversations with documentary industry people. It was episode three, in which I held a shared conversation with fellow doc filmmaker, John Perosi, where we talked about our experiences doing film work in a developing country like Cambodia, as well as what it's like living with one's family while doing work there. If you haven't listened to it yet, I can't say enough about how frank and candid a conversation it was with John. He's got a ton of experience in the feature film and documentary film industry, and he shares some pretty hilarious and insightful stories about his times filming in Cambodia. You do not want to miss that one. This week, we're releasing two more shows back-to-back. You're listening to episode four right now, and we'll get into this soon enough. But I'd like to mention something about episode five, which is now also available for download. 
Speaking of inspiration, this week I've also released another conversation with a documentary industry person, this time with independent filmmaker Lydia B. Smith, whose grassroots approach to film production and distribution has served as immense inspiration to both my wife Steph and I on our current doc project, Elvis of Cambodia. Listen, if you have a project that you're currently doing, Lydia has a ton of very valuable insight into the importance of a grassroots campaign to your film. Again, these past two weeks have been a little different from how things will run in the future. Moving forward, this show will run bi-weekly. One show is led by myself, where I'll be discussing a particular topic of documentary filmmaking, as well as answering some of your emails. And then the other show for the month will be the conversation with an industry person. Ming Bai Lama? Capiche? Cool, moving on. So let's move on to a segment that I'm introducing with this show. I don't have a name for it yet, so let's just call it the Your Email section. You see, recently I've begun receiving emails from a few listeners. First off, I'd like to say that this is entirely flattering, so thank you. Secondly, I'd like to say that I'm hoping to see much more of this. I really want to encourage you to reach out and share your thoughts, whatever they may be. You might have some constructive criticism for the show, which would be super helpful. You might have some thoughts about an earlier podcast topic or guest. Please share those with me. You might have some suggestions for future topics or guests. Or you might have a direct question for the show. Whatever the case, I can't encourage this type of interaction enough. This is the exact kind of engagement I'm hoping to have with this show. It's what the show is about. I truly believe that this will be the best way to get the most from this show. The education, the inspiration, and the networking this could help us create. Well, honestly, that would be my dream for the show. So as this show goes forth, please email me your thoughts, suggestions, and questions to chris at barongfilms.com. That's chris, C-H-R-I-S, at barongfilms.com. And barong is spelled B as in boy, A-R-A-N-G-F-I-L-M-S.com. And I'll promise you right here that I'll answer each and every bit of correspondence you send my way. Because again, like I said, I honestly believe that this is the kind of personal engagement that will be key for all of us. And I'll try and do my best to share your emails with our listeners during this segment of the show. Again, the email address, chris at barongfilms.com. Okay, I'd like to share an email that I received after last week's shows, specifically one that referenced episode three, the conversation that I held with filmmaker John Perosi. This comes from Canton, who lives in Boise, Idaho. It reads, Dear Chris, thank you for the podcast with John Perosi. I found his words very encouraging, especially when he talked about working on his film, Don't Think I've Forgotten, which took him nine years to complete. He talked about people joking about how long it was taking him. I know that feeling. I'm a documentary filmmaker myself, and I too have struggled with the length of time it sometimes takes to finish my projects. I don't have the luxury of a never-ending bank account and have so far been unable to secure even the smallest of grants. So even though sometimes it seemed like a film was never going to get finished, I just stayed strong and kept at it until I had a completed film that I was happy with. I guess there was just something about what John said that resonated with me about the importance of resilience. And I guess I'm writing this to encourage your listeners to never give up on their projects. If they feel strongly enough about the project, then it's worth seeing it through. Thanks again for having this show. I really appreciate you taking the time to put something like this together and sharing it with documentary filmmakers around the world. Sincerely, Canton. First off, wow. No, thank you, Canton. Thank you for that supportive email, and thank you for sharing your thoughts 
um, you know, with with our listeners, because again, that's the sort of thing that's going to sort of provide this supportive networking community that in the documentary community that I'm hoping to um, really foster with the show. So thank you for this particular email and congratulations for living a documentary life. Congratulations for making it happen, man, whatever it takes. You know, you stayed resilient, and I think that that's a really, really key and important element, not only to this profession, not only to this career, not only to this passion, but specifically to each and every one of our projects that we do. I, too, know that feeling. I've known it a number of times, but uh, a great big example for me was the film that I shot in Nepal, Journey to Kathmandu. I felt the same exact way that you did when I heard that it took John nine years to complete don't think I've forgotten. I remembered that feeling that I had with Journey to Kathmandu, and I felt grateful that with someone like John, that he it, it would take somebody like John um, a, a, an extraordinary length of time to complete a film as well. I found that inspiring. Great email, Canton. Um, stay passionate about your projects, man, even when it looks dim. And 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 you know, I'll, I'll mention one more other thing. You mentioned something about grants. I, I just want to say what a tricky field grants are. Um, I've gotten a few myself. They're not easy to come by, but they will come. Again, it's another aspect of of where you can apply resiliency. Don't get disheartened. I just wanted to say really quickly, um, they will come. They'll take time and we will have shows about the grant world later on. There's a massive need. It's a huge source of funding for documentary filmmakers. And it's something that we're going to talk about, I would imagine, a number of times, many times throughout the course of this show. One last thing, Canton. Write back and let us know about your films. I'd love to hear more about them and I'm sure our listeners would as well. Our second email that I'd like to address deals with this idea of making a living outside of documentaries. You know, in other words, without documentary filmmaking being your source or at least main source of income. So, which is, you know, and that is a big part of the documentary life. That's that's certainly a, a big part of what this show is about. Let, let me go ahead and read this listener's email. This comes from, it is from a John in Portage La Prairie and if anybody doesn't know where Portage La Prairie is, it's in Canada, specifically in the province of Manitoba. And I actually, I actually didn't have to look that up. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of proud of myself for that. I had a friend, if you can believe, years and years ago, when I taught English in South Korea, who was from near a place called Portage La Prairie. Otherwise, I'm sure I never would have heard of this place. At any rate, this email is from John in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba, Canada. It reads, Chris. Your show aims to be about helping your listeners, as you say, lead their documentary lives. Well, that seems kind of funny to me, since by your own admission, you do not make your living strictly by doing documentary films. So how can you be doing a show about doing this if you yourself are not? First off, let me say, that's a completely valid question. Totally get it. Absolutely understand where you're coming from and why you would ask that. And I'll answer that by saying a couple of things, which have probably turned into a few things. The documentary life is not about how to make an entire living doing documentaries. There are people, of course, that are doing this. I don't know very many. And we will, through the course of this, um, through the run of this show, we'll talk to people who do make their entire living doing, doing documentaries. This show is not meant to... 
uh, be able to guide you to do that full time. If you can, that's great. That's wonderful. If that's something that you want to do, I hope that this show will give you some of the networking, the tools and the resources to be able to do that. And then you can come back and we can have a conversation together and we can share that with, with other people on this show. That would be awesome. But, but more importantly, this show, it's not about people who make their entire living doing docs. It's about this idea of leading and living a documentary life, which is about how to best live your life that allows you to proceed with your passion of doc filmmaking. So you're right. I do not make my entire living doing doc films. In fact, a tiny percentage of my income comes from the documentary filmmaking at all. The majority of my income comes from working in commercials, corporate video, and reality TV. It's it's a big mixture. Um, a couple of months ago, I was filming on the set of the reality TV series, Little People, Big World. Uh, two weeks ago, I was shooting some higher-end in-house corporate video for Intel. This past week, I shot an, an LA-based filmmaker's documentary project about an artist living with multiple sclerosis. But But I don't mind this. I actually like it like this. I, I like to work my chops in different realms, in different areas of, of film and storytelling. I find it exhilarating. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me, again, connected with other ways of storytelling. Uh, would I rather only be doing documentary films? Maybe, but I'm not even really certain of that. What I do know is that I am able to support myself and my family practicing what I love to do, the craft of filmmaking. And this, in turn, enables me to work on my documentary projects. Now, I say the, the craft of filmmaking, but it really could be even be broader than that, the craft of storytelling. That might be a better way to, to, to put that. I want to remind listeners of the importance, maybe even the advantage, of having other means of work and income while you pursue your documentary filmmaking path. I might even argue that it's that it's necessary. If if all of the, look look, if all of the documentary filmmakers making documentary films were just that, only documentary filmmakers, we'd end up with a pretty boring, a pretty homogenized view of the world, wouldn't we? Uh, people from different backgrounds, cultures, income brackets, interests, whatever, making documentary films allows for us to see the world through another's lenses. That opens our heart. It opens our minds up to the world. And that, to me, is incredibly exciting. So, so if you're paying the proverbial bills by delivering pizzas, um, landscaping yards, selling pools and fireplaces, or being some semi-famous film director's assistant, if you're doing this while you're making your documentary film or films, you're doing exactly what this show is about. You are living and leading a documentary life. So, John in Portage, La Prairie, Manitoba, that may have been a little long-winded, but I hope that answers your question. No, I do not make my entire living doing documentary films. It's a smaller percentage, certainly. But I do hope that my experiences, my thoughts, my stories, dare I say my wisdom, as well as our other guests' experience, stories, and wisdom, will educate and inspire others to be living and leading their own documentary lives. Now, as I look up at the clock, I'm realizing that quite a bit of time has already been spent on, you know, a couple of emails from 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 you guys. And and I still have one more to get to here. And, and this actually will lead into sort of what I had originally intended the main topic of this show to be about. But I want to say, you know, 
I'm okay with that. I'm okay with even the bulk of the show occasionally being um, answering questions or reading thoughts and suggestions from you guys. Again, I cannot stress enough the importance of that because we're trying to build here a supportive a networking community for us to all be, you know, doing our documentary films, doing our projects and sort of leading our documentary lives. And so, yeah, I'm completely okay with that. And I, I hope that you guys are too. So we'll finish out this show with this, um, this last email that I'll, I'll read from a listener who comes from Buffalo, New York. Her name is Kristen and Kristen kind of will lead us via this email into, um, sort of the last topic or what I had initially hoped the main topic of the show to be, which is about music and scoring your film. Basically, and, and I don't need to, to read this email out, it was very short and succinct. Kristen from Buffalo wanted to know um, where I got some of the bumper music that I've been using um, for the first few shows. And I'm assuming she means the music other than what was used uh, in the conversation that I had with, with John Perosi. Um, which, of course, a lot of what we talked about was Cambodia and filming there. And so I used uh, music uh, that came from Cambodia, specifically music that was on the soundtrack for his film, Don't Think I've Forgotten. So other bumper music that I've been using actually has a story to it. And it's uh, very near and dear to me, very connected to my last documentary that I shot in Nepal. I've mentioned it a number of times, Journey to Kathmandu. So, so Kristen, the... The short answer is that music comes from the score from my film, Journey to Kathmandu. The longer answer will lead into more of what I'd like to finish out this show talking about. The score for Journey to Kathmandu, I absolutely love. Uh, I, 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 I wanted to use it for the show. I really wanted to share it with more people. Um, I'm testing it at the moment in these shows to kind of see if it sticks. I may change it up later on, but for now, I love this idea of giving it another life and and like I said sharing it with more people because I I do think it's fantastic the composers are colleagues and friends of mine by the name of Samuel Ross and Jared Jensen I've worked with Sammy a number of times over the years um, in fact he and I kind of got into the film industry together working as oh man uh, I was gonna say production assistants we sure we certainly worked as PAs but initially the very first work that we did together was on the set of Twilight Yes, Sam and I did locations work on on Twilight. We were location assistants on Twilight. Uh, at any rate, Sam is uh, and also an, both Sam and Jared are amazing musicians here locally in Portland, Oregon. How did the score come to be? Well, I was inspired by some music initially that I'd heard well before filming, a bit well before any film was even shot. Um, it was for a fundraiser for Journey to Kathmandu, held about two months before before I left town. Uh, to go shoot in Nepal. I had a bunch of local artists who were giving musical performances at this fundraising event, which was um, really was a really nice cross-cultural event that we were, that we were holding. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Enrique Ugalde, a.k.a. Soraya, which is the name that he performs under, he's one of the world's leading Tuvan throat singers. Um, and you should look up Tuvan throat singers. If you haven't heard it, well, I'll play a little bit for you here in, in, in a little bit. Um, Enrique happens to be um, one of the world's renowned, like I said, one of the world's leading tube and throat singers. His performance and his music was mesmerizing. The sound itself is, I can't even describe it. Again, so I'll play it. It's otherworldly. And that sound kind of stayed with me. It felt very um, almost appropriate 
uh, for the for the film, and in certainly in the area in which the part of the world in which I was filming in. So fast forward a couple years later, Sam Ross and I are on set together, and I hear him sort of jokingly mimicking this style of the Tuvan throat singing. And come to find out, Sam had taken vocal lessons from Enrique Ugalde. And the rest is really sort of history. Because then I brought, you know, I, I approached Sam and then his friend Jared, and they both agreed and came on board and did this incredible job of building the musical accompaniment to the storyline. Now, I am not understating this enough when I say that the music completely changed. It elevated, it elevated the emotion and intellect of Journey to Kathmandu. It changed the landscape. I had been working with this footage for almost four years. And when I had the fine cut and when I started to put in their score, it, it just, yeah, it, it blew me away. I don't need to stress the importance of score to a film. Um, that's something that I think we all inherently get as artists or, or specifically as filmmakers. So I won't go into explaining the importance of a score. Instead, I want to talk to you about ways in which you can find music for your film. I think, first off, an obvious thing that you can do to help yourself is to become familiar with with the area of, of score music and soundtracks. How, do you, how can you do that? Well, immerse yourself in it. Immerse yourself in that world. Watch films with this purpose in mind, really paying attention to what and how things work in scenes alongside the music. Or maybe even a better way to put that is how music propels and moves the story forward. Um, and so it's almost as if you're watching less about the visuals and more about what you're hearing. So kind of study the music that's being used for films. And, and probably a number of you have already done this. And if you're like me, I love the music that gets used for a lot of films. How can you get your hands on music for your film projects? Uh, go to music schools if you have them in the area. Go to colleges, universities. Um, I found that students are often looking for visual artists that would like to give their music some free publicity because really that's kind of what it is, right? It's free publicity for them. If they can get their music um, onto somebody's film project, that film hopefully will be seen. And if it's seen, then their music is going to be heard. You could also use Craigslist. I've done this a number of times. Go to craigslist.com or craigslist.org. Craigslists are now throughout the world. So put your city name, then .craigslist.org, and chances are something's going to come up. Look in Craigslist um, for people who want to uh, supply music, supply, look for musicians who want to, so, uh, to offer up their music for film projects, or maybe even better yet, put an ad up yourself, describe your film, describe the kind of music that you're looking for, and people will come to you. They will write back to you. Another thing that I'll say is don't be shy about reaching directly out to artists you may know. 
I say that because you might be surprised, and I can illustrate that with a little bit of a story here. You may or may not be familiar with a band by the name of Godspeed, You Black Emperor. Godspeed is na- known for creating this sort of um, this music that is uh, this has an orchestral at times cinematic feel to their music. Um, there are no lyrics per se. There's no there's no singing. There are voices at times, but that's more of like almost what we call like found footage in in filmmaking. Um, that there's so there's. There's bits and pieces and bites of cool sound bites occasionally, um, but generally it's this full um, b- a band which is made up of an ever-changing group of musicians um, out of based out of Montreal. The last I'd heard, the last I knew, and their music is very um, cinematic and powerful and emotive sounding. I'd been editing the film Bomb Hunters, which I worked with another gentleman in Cambodia. And I was editing this film and listening to Godspeed, You Black Emperor at the time. And the music just seemed, somehow it seemed perfect for the film. So I started cutting scenes to this, knowing that at some point I was going to have to, of course, strip that music out and it would later need to be replaced. And of course, that would probably greatly affect the edit. It's one of those sort of no-nos that that most people will, will say is, look, never put copyrighted music into your edits. Never edit to it because you're not going to be able to use it and you're going to have to, it's going to change the edit. So when you do put film in, it's going to change the look and feel of the edit. But uh, I, I couldn't help myself. Um, and like I said, the music was perfect for it. The artwork for this album, Yankee UXO, which was the latest Godspeed You Black Emperor album at that time, the artwork um, showed UXO and bombs, and it had like these these these, these political messages within the liner notes, and it, it somehow and and of course the music itself really captured the look and feel of a lot of what we were trying to talk about in our documentary. So I used the music as a temp track, a, a, anyway. The thing that you have to know about Godspeed is they didn't even allow their music ever to be used for commercial purposes. Many times, uh, filmmakers, directors, movies, and commercials had reached out to them over the years because, like as I mentioned, their music is so cinematic. But they always either didn't get a reply or they were politely told, um, yeah, no, no thanks, buddy, we don't do that sort of thing. I think most people would have never even bothered asking. But the, again, the music felt so perfect that we thought, you know, what the heck, why not even just send out an email? That's easy enough to do, right? So so we did. We sent out an email, and amazingly, within a day, we got a response back from one of the members of the band. And he replied, much to our amazement, very positively and said, yes, you can use our music. Yes, you can use these particular songs. This is the kind of social story that we like to get behind. And you know what? If you ever make any money on this film, great. Maybe you can cut us a check. If not, no worries. And it was basically this idea of like, we agree with the type of message you're presenting with this film. It's the kind of projects that we like to align ourselves with. And so here you go. And it was just like mind-blowing because, of course, Godspeed, you Black Emperor. Wow, they'd never given any music to a film before. And they gave it to us essentially for free. And to this day, to my knowledge, I don't think their music has ever been used in any other films, with the exception of Danny Boyle, who who was able to use one of their songs for 28 Days Later. We remain one of the only films to have ever been granted permission by Godspeed to use their music in our film. 
a, a bit long-winded there, but my point was don't be shy about reaching out to artists who you would maybe assume there's no way that you would be able to get them to give you their music um, at little to, or to no cost. I also would like to talk about royalty-free music, um, and that is a very specific verbiage, royalty-free music, RFM. And understandably, it's a bit confusing and, and almost kind of misleading. It looks and appears as if, yes, this is where I can go to get free music, but that's actually not the case at all. In reality, royalty-free music, in the most basic terms, it means an artist simply isn't making royalties from the use of their music. Instead, they're being issued basically a one-time only payment, regardless of how many times their music gets played in, I don't know, the latest AT&T commercial or what have you. It's a one, it's a one-shot deal or a one-time deal. They get a sum of money, and then the commercial or whoever has purchased that that music, they get to use it as many times as they want, which is in opposition of rights managed licensing, where an artist is paid based on the number of times their music gets played. Now, there are some other maybe lesser known resources that I'd love to share with you um, that can help give you some ideas for music or places to go to get music for your projects. Everybody knows the artist Moby, and, and, and probably many of you do know this about Moby. If you don't, this is kind of an exciting thing that happened a few years ago. Moby came out with um, a website called Moby Gratis, mobygratis.com, which is basically a resource for independent nonprofit filmmakers, um, for film students, basically anyone in need of free music for their nonprofit film, nonprofit film, short film, video, etc., it's, it's, it's a place where he has basically put up 150 or over 150 tracks of his music that he allows to be used for free. You just go to the website, again, mobygratis.com. Um, you, you look and you listen to the tracks, you, you, you find out what you want to use, and then you fill out this short, simple online application. We've done it ourselves. We asked for permission to use some of his music. When we applied for a grant, we wanted to use one of his pieces of music for um, a short edit that we were using to apply for a grant, which within 24 hours, he or at least somebody over at Moby Gratis totally granted us use of that song. And if the music is used for a commercial film, the money that's generated goes directly to the Humane Society. So it sounds like Moby doesn't even make a dime on this stuff. So man, that's cool. Moby, you are even more awesome than I originally thought. So thank you for that resource. Again, MobyGratis.com. Another resource that I'll send you to is the Free Music Archive. You can go to freemusicarchive.org or you can go directly to the area that's appropriate probably to, to all of us, which is freemusicarchive.org slash curator slash video. Free Music Archive is basically a resource for free, high quality legal audio downloads. It's curated by WFMU. Some of you may know about the history of WFMU. It's one of the more renowned freeform radio stations in America. And I'm going to read directly from a small section on their website that kind of describes what they're about. The Free Music Archive is a platform for collaboration between curators and artists, including radio stations, net labels, venues, artists' collectives, museums, music festivals, and more. The site combines the curatorial approach that these organizations have played for the last few decades with the community-generated approach of many current online music sites. So, you know, the Free Music Archive, I think, 
it's certainly originally meant to get music out there and to share it with the world. So it's more about um, free downloads and for people, for artists to offer up these downloads so they can get their music heard. Um, Video is not, certainly not necessarily originally intended for much of this, but this particular video section, again, freemusicarchive.org slash curator slash video, it was set up to fill a void in music for online media projects. So I would recommend checking that out as well. So that's a little bit about music, the importance of it, and and where you can go to find to procure some music for your film. Um, again, look at uh, look at the people that you surround yourselves with. There's a lot of artists and musicians that I'll bet we know. See if they're eager to work with you on your projects. Also, again, music schools and colleges, use Craigslist, post an ad up there. Um, and again, don't be hesitant if you really feel strongly about reaching out to a more known artist. You never know how they'll respond. There is a possibility there. Yes, it's smaller, but as I illustrated earlier, it does happen. Um, MobyGratis.com. Moby offered up a resource for independent filmmakers. Take advantage of that. And then, of course, the free music archive. So that's it. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. As always, a ton of gratitude. You guys are what makes this show possible. And and as you heard through this particular show, I want to encourage you to be dialoguing with me and then I can dialogue more with you guys and share that information and keep that, sort of build that networking and community. Again, go to the website, thedocumentarylife.com. Post comments on what you've heard here in the podcasts. Write me directly and I will respond to you. I will Each and every email that I get from you guys, I will write back. Chris at barongfilms.com. That's Chris at B-A-R-A-N-G films.com. I'd like to remind you also, go ahead and, and while you're at it now, if you haven't done it already, download my conversation that I had with Lydia B. Smith. She's going to talk to you about the importance of grassroots campaigning long before you've even begun shooting your film and certainly throughout the production. The dividends it will pay off can be astronomical. Believe me, she'll illustrate that with, with her own stories. I'd like to remind you that the next episode will be up two weeks from today. We'll get to our regularly scheduled programming, which will be an episode every two weeks. So I'll see you back here in two weeks. Before I do go, however, I might ask for your help. Um, I do offer this as a free service. This is this is my time that I'm giving to you guys. And I the only thing that I would ask in return is, if you haven't done it already, please subscribe to iTunes or go to the website, uh, thedocumentarylife.com and subscribe there. Download all the episodes, spread the word to people who might like this show. And something that we only have a couple more weeks to get into is a section on iTunes known as the new and noteworthy section. And how you get into is based on a couple of things. The downloads that are happening with your show, the subscriptions that are happening, and maybe even more important, and I and I would ask this of you guys, go ahead and if you feel strongly about this show and you want to hear more, please give it a five-star rating and write up a review. Um, that's something that can really go a long way in helping the longevity of this show. Again, uh, go to iTunes, subscribe, give Give the show a five-star rating and then write a review of it. Um, that would be really, really helpful. That's the only thing I would ask um, of you guys. I love doing this show and I love sharing these ideas with you. I love talking to the guests and 
and getting your emails. So let's continue that. Let's continue fostering a community and let's all continue leading and living our documentary lives. Thanks guys. And I will see you or I'll hear from you hopefully next time. Mm -hmm.